As I considered over the recent past, not only the, the theme and the focus of today that we have chosen to um, dedicate, in a sense, this day to, and what scripture the Lord might have us to read, there certainly were many uh, scriptures that we could go to that, uh, that speak on, on this theme and on this focus for today. But as I also considered that I've been meditating and preaching out of the book of James, and interestingly enough, the next set of verses, the six verses that are coming up, um, I believe are ones that most certainly can provide a very uh, graphic backdrop for the theme of what we are talking about, namely looking at poverty, the needs of the poor and the needy, the, the widows, the orphans, and, and the many things associated with, with all of that. And so if you'd like to turn with me, and we'll use this as our primary text, and while I won't be um, speaking directly on, on the things here, I do, as I said, believe this does provide a backdrop. And so we're looking in James chapter 5. The first six verses. And keeping in mind that as we've looked at the book of James, we have already seen, and we'll touch again on a number of the verses and scriptures that James addresses in his letter that are also very much about this theme. James chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted. And your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat at your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasures, ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. And behold, the hire of the labor who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. In some ways, this set of verses seems to be out of place in the book of James addressing a different group of people. And we're not, not really sure what, what entirely James, who he was addressing this to in, in his letter specifically. But certainly, um, it speaks of a condition that existed then, that has more or less existed always, and certainly is existing in the world today. A condition that largely contributes to the the poverty and the need that is in the world. Namely, the need that, that we'll be speaking about and, and trying to highlight today, the need of the poor, the, those that are less privileged, as sometimes we say, orphans, widows, um, those that, that are marginalized around the world. And even though for many of us that seems to be somewhat remote, the reality is that it is ever so prevalent in the world that we live in today. And so just briefly, as, as James is writing this, he's, he's really uh, identifying for us 
sort of this idea that that many in the world are being exploited. It's really what he's talking about here. And, and living their lives in a way that other people's lives are being oppressed. And, and we see the evidence of that, um, you know, in the world around us. Not maybe so much close at home, but certainly in the greater part of the world. But not that it isn't happening closer to home. And so in a sense, I, I feel that what we read in Proverbs 31, that that what we will be speaking today and, and trying to, the message that we'll be trying to bring out is one in which it says in Proverbs, open thy mouth and plead the cause for of the poor and the needy. And certainly we want to underscore and plead their cause because the scriptures do that and we want to be true to the scriptures. You know, when we look out at the world and what's what's happening uh, in the world, you don't have to look far, but and and no farther than you know just the internet to see if you really want to know what's going on in much of the world. And certainly, there are many different aspects and 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 facets of of poverty and need of the poor. And and to summarize that very uh, succinctly. We could say that what that is talking about is essentially the things that most, if not every one of us, takes for granted. Because of where we live, the time in which we live, and the affluence that is all around us and in our own lives. Things as simple as as, as safe, clean water to drink being able to have an education and a job, a roof over our head and clothes on our back, and recognizing that there are many millions upon millions in the world that don't have that. And and if we would just focus on one uh, aspect, and a very important aspect of, of that poverty, to maybe underscore this a little bit and just look at hunger, as it exists in the world today, almost 9% of the world's population is in that category of those that are starving, that, that don't have enough. Over 600 million people go to bed, almost 700 million people go to bed every night with empty stomachs because they haven't had enough to eat. And, and to put that into even greater perspective, in the last 24 hours, over 24,000 people, sorry, yes, 24,000 people in the world died of starvation. Before this message is over this morning, as many or maybe even more than 200 children will have died of starvation in the world in the next 30 plus minutes. And what makes this even a greater tragedy is that there is more than enough food in the world to feed all of those people. Every day, two and a half billion tons of, of, sorry, two and a half million tons of food is lost or wasted that could easily feed all of those people. And you can look. I won't. That's where the statistics will stop this morning. You can look that up for yourself. 
But you can also look at some of the things that are happening around us. And so we have to ask, why is this going on in in our world when there is so much available for so many, and yet so many are suffering and dying? And as we often do, as we preach from this pulpit, we take you back to the beginning, to the Garden of Eden, to that perfect place that God created that was was spoiled because of sin, because of sin entering into the world. And, and that sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, as they gave in to the temptation of Satan that brought upon uh, them and, and all of us that are of the seed of Adam, as the Bible describes us, the, the, the fall, that fallen nature and, and how sin and death entered into the world. And a curse came upon mankind. And among that curse was that the ground would be cursed. And, 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 and would not, um, function and produce as God intended it to. And, 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 and what began was this depravity of man that is so evident and has been so evident throughout the, the, uh, entire history of mankind. And, and things just kept getting worse. And, and we, we read in the scripture that, that by the time Noah came around, that he was, it seems like one of the only ones that was found righteous in God's eyes. But the Bible describes the world in Noah's day this way. And it says that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only continually, um, evil. And the Bible also warns us that in the last days it will be like the days of Noah. And isn't that so true that we see that in the world around us? And so God sends a flood and and in a sense it was an opportunity to perhaps reset mankind, wipe away all that wickedness and evil. And and while it did away with a lot of that, well, the one thing it did not do away with is and that is that the heart of man as the Bible says, is desperately wicked. And so it wasn't very long before this cycle just continued to happen. And, and many of, of the ills that were there created by man as a result of, of greed and war and trying to dominate over others and have power over others and, and bring about this, this great poverty and need that is in the world. And on top of that, because the world was cursed, in a sense, because of the sin in the garden, we know that that it is also subject to many of the calamities that are in the world. Things like what we are experiencing in the world today, a pandemic, diseases and pestilences and, and floods and all kinds of natural disasters that, if not... Um, Caused and, and uh, by God are certainly allowed by God, and often, even as it was in in the case of God's people, the children of Israel, that these things were were allowed and 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 came upon them as a result of their sin, their rebellion against God, and and God brought judgment upon them, so that at times they did suffer severe hunger. And poverty, as they were oppressed and, and, and surrounded by their enemies that God had allowed to judge them, bringing about great, great 
suffering. And we could go in so many directions this morning to, to talk about what are the reasons for these things happening around us, even in our society, and certainly in the world around us and, and what causes that. And too much to, to really cover. But it, it all does come back to sin. It all comes back to that fallen nature that we have and, and, and that, that brings about so much pain and suffering, poverty and need in the world. And it's in looking out at that that there are those in the world that will, will in a mocking way say, if there really is a God, how could he allow that? If God is a loving God, how could he permit people to, to suffer and die? These, these 200 children that will die in the next half hour. How could he permit and allow that to happen? And why doesn't he do something about it? The truth is, God does care. And he did do something about it. When he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world sent him, and when he came, he himself began his, his ministry, quoting from Isaiah there in that uh, synagogue in, in, in Nazareth as he began his ministry. He opened the scroll and he read from Isaiah these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. He didn't send um him to, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And this was the plan that, that God had for Christ coming into this world. This was his, his message and his ministry to preach the forgiveness of sins through his atoning work on the cross. So much so that the, uh, John the Baptist could proclaim his coming and said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. And not only takes away our sins, but also redeems us and gives us a new heart and transforms us. That we can, can, it transforms our hearts and our lives so that we can live for him. He came to, to, to love show his love to the world, to heal and to, to help. And, and he came to minister to not only the, the physical needs of the people, but also their greatest spiritual need, and that is to be reconciled back to God. And all of that teaching and all of that example has been given to us for us to follow. And so that is the real reset. Because it could only take a new heart, a regenerated heart. Uh, it could only take the grace of God that, that comes into a person's life that can take away all of the evil that is in this world. And only if, and not until that would happen, can the world really experience the change that is needed to take care of these things. 
But nevertheless, we live in this broken world, and God sees that, and God cares, and God wants us to do something about it. But let's look for a moment first at what God has to say about the poor, those that are poor and needy, those that are living in poverty. What he has to say about those that are widows, and that was really a group of people that was very marginalized, the widows and the orphans, especially um, in that time, but even also in our time, especially in underdeveloped countries. Many, many verses that, uh, scriptures that we could go to as we, as we look at this. But just to highlight a few, in Deuteronomy it says, For the poor shall never cease out of the land. And how true that is. Jesus even said, The poor you will always have among you. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, to thy needy in the land. Why? In Psalm 146, the Lord watches over the sojourning, the sojourners or the, the strangers, and he upholds the widow and the fatherless because he cares for them. And he wants us to care for them as well. In Proverbs it says, he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. This, this Verse here just reveals to us the heart of God, the love, the mercy, the compassion that he has for everyone, but especially for those that are marginalized like this, those that are suffering and those that are need, are needy in this way. And as God sees that and, and, and desires mankind to, to serve him and to worship him, um, in spirit and truth, as Jesus said, there is a worship, a true worship that God is seeking, and, and really we see it described very fittingly in, in Isaiah chapter 58. I encourage you to read the entire chapter. It's, it's talking about sacrifice, it's talking about uh, fasting, but then it says this, is not this the fast that I choose? To lose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? How vividly this scripture portrays to us the heart of God and what he desires. And then as we've been studying in James and and that very important scripture at the end of chapter 1, pure religion and undefiled before God is this. To visit or to care for the fatherless, the orphans, and the widows in their affliction, and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. The scriptures make it adequately clear how God views these needy and poor people. So how does God want us to respond to the poor? In Isaiah, the Bible says, learn to do good. And so that's why it's important for us to have, to preach about this, even to have a Sunday focused on this, because we could learn and we need to learn how to do Good, especially in this area. The verse goes on to say, seek justice 
Help the oppressed and defend the cause of the orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. These people that are needy, we need to learn how to help them and to learn to do what we can. I'd like to move next to another scripture. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to introduce it somewhat and then and, and then share it in a paraphrased form with you. But there's two chapters in 2 Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9, that the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, has, has really dedicated to a lot, a, a, certainly a part of what the theme of this weekend is all about. And the context was this. At that time... Uh, maybe a, um, a 10 to 20 years after the church had been established, there was, recorded in history as well, as well as in scripture, there was a famine that was going through much of the Roman world at that time. And a famine that had very adversely affected the believers in Jerusalem, in so much that they were very poor and in great need. And so as the Apostle Paul was was traveling on his last missionary journey, he was highlighting this need and also encouraging the believers in the places where he was visiting that they should give to those Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And he, and he, um, he said it this way, that if you were the recipients of, of the, the grace of God, that was given first to the Jew, but then also to the Gentiles. Shouldn't you also be willing to share what you have to others? And so in this text in Corinthians, Paul is is talking first about the believers in Macedonia, believers that were themselves very poor, but yet in their poverty had become very generous to give. First, giving their hearts to God, but then giving out of their poverty whatever they could to this cause. And this was being collected as Paul was traveling through his missionary journey. And he's writing here to the Corinthians, and now he's encouraging them, who were evidently in a better state and ability to give, that they should follow the example of those Macedonian believers. And so I'm going to, um, and this, this is primarily about monetary giving. And really, brothers and sisters and friends, in the sense that, that where we are living and the abilities that we have, this is a big part of what we can and should do. Because we're not in those places where this, uh, this great need exists uh, in underdeveloped countries. But we'll pick it up here at around verse 7, um, and I'm going to make a few comments as I go through th- this paraphrase of, of this text. And really, both of these uh, chapters, 8 and 9, are, are really focused entirely on this subject and, and, and meeting this need. And so Paul says, since you excel in so many ways in your faith and your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, enthusiasm and your love, From us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. In other words, he's complimenting them on many things that they are doing right, but highlighting that this is a need that they also need to excel in. And and as we'll see here as he goes on, it's not that they were negligent in that area, 
but that he was encouraging them to continue doing it and to maybe pick up where they had left off to complete the task at hand. And you know, in many ways, I, I just I want to encourage, this isn't a message that is supposed to imply that, that we're not doing anything, that, that we're not fulfilling needs. I, I, I believe that God is honored with what we do, but that we need to recognize that the need is great and the opportunities are also great, and that there's always opportunity to do more. We can learn from this text. So he goes on to say, I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is. And we learned that from the, from the book of James, that the works that are often highlighted there are really an evidence of the genuineness, the sincerity of the faith that we profess. And that this should not be something that we are feel, um, feel we need to do because we are forced to do it, but rather compelled because of the love that we have for God and for the love that we have for the things that are close and dear to his heart as well. It goes on to say um, that here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started, and let your eagerness, let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. In other words, not just words, but action. Not just being wanting or, or willing to do something, but actually doing it. And then he says, give in proportion to what you have. And this is a a, a biblical principle that all of us need to to take to heart as well. All of us are at a different place in life and, and different abilities in what we can do, what we can give, how much of of in a monetary sense or in a time sense or in practical means in helping those that are poor, both around us and in the world around us as well. But we need to take this seriously when the Bible encourages us to to give in proportion to what we have. I don't want to make this a message focused that much on giving that it's very broad and so much that Scripture talks about, but this is certainly a part that is very important as we consider the needs of those around us. But then he goes on to say, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. Another scripture says that God loves a cheerful giver. We should be eager to do this. We should be wanting to do this. It should be flowing from our hearts. And if it isn't, we need to question what is in our hearts and have we been adequately transformed by the gospel to have that desire and to have that motivation to do these things. And he then says, and give according to what you have and, and not what you don't have. You know, at times we may be tempted to say, well, if only I had a little bit more, I could give a little bit more. If only I, I, this worked out and, and, and I would have more than I need, then, then, then I would give. God isn't really interested in, in what we would do with what we don't have for those that he wants us to help. He is very interested in what we are going to do with what we have right now. What is at our disposal and, and, 
and what we are willing to part with in order to help those that are in need. And then he goes on to say, of course, I don't mean that your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. That's us. That's most every one of us to some degree or other. Many of us, if not ourselves, certainly our parents, have come out of situations of dire need, of great poverty, very similar to what is going on in the world, in many places in the world around us. But we are now in a place of prosperity, in a place where where we have that ability to meet the needs of others. And even as there were those at that time and in those places that were able and willing to do what they could for others, so too should we be willing to do that as well. So as we consider how we as God's children should respond to the poor, we've, we've already highlighted a number of those in, in that scripture, but I'd like to, to bring out a few more that the Bible really talks about. And, and one is, is really very evident in the teaching that we found and have already seen in the book of James. Where it says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James also said that we ought to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And so what this scripture is really under um, emphasizing for us, that helping the poor and the needy and doing what we can to, to help them, to, to help orphans, to, to meet the needs of, of those that are widows and, and, and um, the homeless, and, and the list goes on and on, that that is a demonstration of Christ effectively working in our lives. That if, if, if the gospel of Jesus Christ has, has really um, made a difference in our hearts and in our lives, this is, these are the areas where it will show itself. And, and if it's not happening, we need to ask ourselves, why isn't it happening? In Proverbs it says, withhold not good from them to whom it is due. And we've talked about those to whom it is due. When it is in the power of thine hand to do it, say not to thy neighbor, go and come again, and tomorrow I will give when thou hast it by thee. None of us can do everything that needs to be done. But all of us can do something that needs to be done. And we need to, to, to look for that something that you can do. That, even if it is a small thing, that can make a difference for someone that is out there that needs that help. Around us, here, and certainly 
in the world around us as the need is there. Jesus said, when the Son of Man, and he said this near the end of his ministry, Maybe I'll just paraphrase this. He basically said that when the Son of Man, when he returns, that there's going to be a judgment. There's going to be a separation between the righteous and the unrighteous. And he described it as the sheep and the goats. And to those on his right, the righteous, he would say, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. On Judgment Day, it will be important what we believed. It will be important that we believed in the only begotten Son of God and his atoning work on the cross and the grace that of God that was so... so um, Freely offered, the grace of God that was also spoken about in that verse, uh, that uh, scripture there in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where it says, you know the grace of our God, uh, of, of the grace of God through Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. And that's speaking about the grace and the the forgiveness that has been made available to us. And we need to believe that and embrace that wholeheartedly, but that needs to transform our lives because, as the scripture says here, what Jesus said, that on judgment day, it will also matter what we did, not just what we believed in our hearts. Because what we believe needs to be demonstrated In what we do. Paul wrote to Timothy and he says, Charge them that are rich in this present age. And and isn't that true for us? All of us, even the poorest among us this morning, is 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 richer by far than than most um, than the highest percentage of those in the world. Probably, I don't have that statistic, but we probably fall in that top 5% category. And, And many of us spend more on a cup of coffee than millions upon millions, even billions of people in the world live on every day. But Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, charge them that are rich in this age, in this present age, and so that's us included. That they are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, ready to give. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold on eternal life, what is truly life. These scriptures point us to the heart of God and what he wants for us to be doing. And certainly... A large part of that is to give monetarily, and that is why we do collect and and why we encourage giving, to be able to support the ministries that we support as, excuse me, as a mission board, and, and enable others that are in the fields to be able to do those things. And, and much as the Apostle Paul was, was commending not only the Macedonian believers, but also the Corinthian believers in what they were doing, and also at the same time encouraging them to continue to do it and to do more, I too want to commend you. 
and, and encourage you to the ability that God gives you and as much as he has blessed you that we would also be encouraged to do more in these ministries that that we can be involved in. Many in monetary ways, but others that perhaps do not have the ability to to give monetarily. And I think about our, our CFG, and I know that some of you recently were, were cleaning... Um, Cleaning pa- uh, pails for the gleaners, uh, and there's a, a display in the foyer about the work that they do in, in packaging dried goods to send to needy people all over the earth. And maybe you don't have much or anything to give, but, but you, you can do things like that with your hands or help out with, with cheerful giver or volunteer at Oasis or be involved in, in, in the sewing group and sewing uh, things for that. There are so many ways, and I just want to uh, not only commend you for that, but encourage you to continue to do that. And as much as the Bible says, as much as you have opportunity, do good to all men where you have those opportunities. And that, uh, and you know, we had a great response this year with the, the shoe boxes and, and those that um, package those. What a great opportunity for you as parents to, to, to get your children involved in, in doing something that and highlighting those that are less fortunate. Sure, those things won't, won't take away their starvation or, 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 or feed them, but will make a profound difference for, for that child that, that receives even that small gift. And the giving that you can encourage your children to be a part of in Sunday school and the, the list goes on and on. And those of you that, that reach out in the community and, and do different things, many of them are not seen, not noticed. And I encourage you that, that we would all look for those opportunities to do more. But also, as we are highlighting, the need to, to, to give. Um, and, and, and we are not focusing so much on, on the spiritual need, but we, we cannot ignore that, that as great as the physical needs are of the those around us in the world, that the spiritual need is far greater because they need Jesus. And ultimately, Jesus is the answer for much of the suffering and pain that is in the world. You know, we, we can make excuses for, for not doing what we should and, and, and not doing more. You know, when I have time, when I have more money, when I'm not so busy, um, why don't they get a job and, and just so they don't have to beg? Uh, will they really use what I give them for the right purpose? Or are they going to buy something that I don't agree with? And, and we could go on and on and find excuses and reasons not to give. But that doesn't negate the command. That doesn't negate the instructions that God gives us about those that he cares about and that he wants us to care about as well. You know, in Bible class, we've been going through the, the seven churches. Among them, um, Christ had, had good things to say about some and, and, and good and, and not so good things to say about others, but some that, that he had very not good things to say about. The church of Laodicea, of whom it says that, that they said they were rich and had need of nothing, and, and he had to point out how desperately poor they were in that state of mind and that state of thinking. And that is sin. That is, that is to be in that place is wrong. 
you know, I came across a, a scripture that is, um, I'd like to share with you right now. You know, we, when we think about Sodom and Gomorrah and, and how God rained down fire and destroyed that city and, and, and he did it, and I think the first thing comes to our mind is that he did it because of their, the immorality that existed, that he could simply no longer tolerate that immorality. And while that certainly was part of it, there's a scripture in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Listen to what it says. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. And I believe that was a reference to, to um, Gomorrah and Sodom. And her daughters, which might have been some outlying villages or, or the towns in that areas. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. How vividly that describes the world around us. Pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, not providing for the poor and the needy. I heard something interesting once. Someone said that God will need to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah if he doesn't very soon judge severely the world that you and I live in. Just in the last little bit here, I want to um, move on to another important principle that we find in Scripture. Not only that, that, that we need to demonstrate the grace of God that is that has become a part of our lives in our actions and in what we're doing. But that we also need to have what I'm going to call that margin in our lives to be able to do this. Wanting to do this. And the Bible describes that in a number of terms. Namely that in tithing and in gleaning. Listen to the scripture. In Leviticus it says... And, uh, when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field. Neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. God commanded, he instructed his people that they should be very intentional about making this a part of their lives. Not as an afterthought. Not as, as something they'll do if they get around to it. Or if they get everything else done. But that they make this an intentional part. By, by, by doing, in this particular case, that, that, uh, making that ability for gleaning to be able to happen. For the stranger. For the widow. For the poor for the orphan, so that they would have something to live on. And furthermore, he instituted the tithe, that 10% that was to be given, not only to the Levites, to the priests, but also to those same people, to the strangers, to the widow, to the orphan, to the poor, and to the needy. In Ezekiel, Exodus, it says, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the fallow, that the poor um, of your people may eat, and what they leave for the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise for your vineyard 
and with your olive orchard. And this is the tithing that, that God instituted and, and wanted to happen so that those people would be looked after. And in Corinthians, the Bible teaches us a similar principle that Paul told the Corinthians. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay up in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come. Intentional giving, intentional doing should be, should be factored into every one of our lives. Something that not only we desire to do and intend to do, but something that we plan to do and make a part, a regular part of our lives. Because God commanded that here and he, he wants it. And, and I think the reason is simple because often if we don't intentionally do something or plan to do something rather, it doesn't get done. It gets ignored, it gets neglected and, and overlooked. And so God realizes and he encourages us, us to, to have that important aspect in our lives. There's so much more that we could, could explore and, and, and I trust that the Lord will inspire Brother Adrian to, to also share with us uh, what the Lord lays on his heart in, in regards to this theme and, and what we can be doing. May we be encouraged this morning, not just commended, and I, I don't want that to sound like I'm patting you on the back, and yes, we need to recognize that, but we do it, why do we do it? We do it for the honor and the glory of God. We do it as a demonstration of what he has done for us. We do it because freely we have received, and so freely we want to give. We do it because we know there is a reward there is a reward for us. And the Bible tells us that we should not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. And we are not looking for a harvest or to be repaid here on this earth, but we know there will be a, an eternal reward. And, and God will take care of us. He says if we take care of the poor, he will take care of us. When he sees that we see the need of those that are living in poverty, those that have needs, wherever they might be, God will bless that and he will reward it in his own way and in his own time. And in doing so, we will, as Jesus says, be laying up treasures in heaven. And so in closing, once again, learn, learn to do good. Seek for justice for those and help those that are oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans and fight for the rights of widows. Micah 6, 8. I don't know how many times I have quoted the scripture to you from this pulpit. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God.